Turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 7, Romans chapter 7, and this morning this is where we're going to be, uh, Romans chapter 7 starting in verse 7, and uh, I I tell you, people introduce themselves all the time, if uh, you stick out your hand and somebody will give you your name and you say, well tell me something about yourself, Um, and people will introduce themselves in all different ways, occupations, well I'm a pastor, that really ruins the conversation most of the time, by the way, you know, <laughs> depending on where you are. Like, uh, it's kind of fun sometimes. Like, I try not to mess with people and not give them that information early, especially if they're droning on about the sins of their life. Um, other times people talk about where they're from in the sense of either a city or even another nation. If you're an immigrant, A lot of times you talk about your nationality of where you came from. Uh, One of the things that I think is really dumb is to talk about your race. Uh, I think that, um, I think that's ridiculous. I think that we're humans and we're all the human race and we should identify each other as such. And uh, uh, I don't need to tell you that I'm white, do you? Yeah, like that's not important. It's not important. And so we can talk in terms, but, but sometimes we introduce things like that, uh, in our culture today. Uh, uh, my name is this and the pronouns I like to prefer, uh, come on. Um, and, uh, um, or we even worse, this is probably the worst thing possible. Uh, we introduce ourselves at, by our money. Uh, we somehow describe ourselves, and I am very affluent, and I'm a member of the country club, and uh, I drive a Tesla, and you should be really impressed by all the money and junk I have. Um, maybe we introduce ourselves by our hobbies, uh, say our gardener, or a golfer, or a horse person, or um, you know, I, I train dogs or like, there's lots of different things. I, I, I heard uh, this last week, uh, I think it was this last week or maybe it was a prior week, someone uh, talked about their zodiac sign. They introduced themselves like they, oh, this is what I am. And I'm like, great. <laughs> like, like, what do you want me to do with that? You know, that's weird. Um, and uh, in our modern culture, maybe you even say, this is your username, like uh, on your, you know, you can find me on Instagram or Tic Tacs or whatever. Uh, um, so anyways, we introduce ourselves in many ways. And, and I want to say that all these things that I've mentioned, all of them, all, all of them, don't really give an accurate picture of who we are. They don't. Um, we're much more than that. And at the core, we're much worse than that. Or much worse than that. Uh, I'd like to read God's word to you uh, and for you. And as you, if you'd stand in honor of God's word, I, I, I want to encourage you as we stand in honor of God's word, that's nothing special. We're not special because we're standing, but we're trying to acknowledge that the Bible is something different, something different uh, than all the other things in this world. And so I'd like to read to you Romans chapter 7, starting at verse 7, and I want to read down through verse 13. What then uh, shall we say, uh, that the law is sin? By no means. Yet if it had, had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I would not have known uh, what it is to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. But since seizing an opportunity through the commandment 
produced in me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. The very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. For sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me and and through it, it killed me. So the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. Did that which is good then bring death to me? By no means. It was sin producing death in me through what is good in order that sin might be shown to be sin and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. God, we ask your blessing on your word. We ask that you would help us to understand and to clarify in our own minds what sin is to us and what is sin in us. And God, thank you for the answer to our sin problem in your son Jesus, and it's in his name we pray, amen. You may be seated. Today, uh, we're gonna see a universal core of a peace to each of us, and, and really that peace is the more full and accurate description of us, and hopefully this will help us to understand our need for the gospel, our continuing need for the gospel, and to cling to that. We start out in verse seven, and we're gonna see my relation of the law and sin. And, and I wanna say this, that Paul is... Um, you get this thing and maybe you struggle with this with me that you think I'm doing this all the time. I rarely point. I rarely point because pointing is rude. Um, in, in seminary, they call it the finger of faith, the finger of faith. Um, but uh, uh, as you think about this, many times you feel like, oh, you know, the, the pastor or the preacher is just telling me, he's just coming down on me. But as you read this particular portion, uh, Paul is not going like this to his readers. He's really talking about himself. But as he talks about himself in humanity, in his humanity, he is talking to his readers as well. And I want to tell you, that's always true of the preacher, if, if something is true of humanity, it's true of the preacher as well. And if it's true of the preacher as well, it's true of you. Uh, there's this common, commonality. And so as we look at this, re- remember this morning that no one is excluded from this. Paul included, the Apostle Paul. Um, there's no apostle that was sinless. There's no pope who is sinless. There's no pastor that is sinless. There's no grandma that is sinless. Just wanted to include grandmas. Gotcha. So I, I, I think that often, especially kids, look at themselves and they go, oh, I'm a mess, or teenagers especially, I'm a mess, but, but there's, there's other people that are truly holy. And I want to say, this is inclusive of everyone. Uh, Paul was talking about it in terms of himself and his own understanding, uh, both of the past and of today, his continuing need for Jesus. 
He, he starts out in verse 7 and he says, What then shall we say? That the law is sin by no means. And you, we've been hearing this over and over again. And, and Paul, by this time in the book of Romans, his hand is sore. His hand is sore. And you say, from what? Slamming it on the, the table saying, no, no. And, and it's this violent, uh, philosophical, theological. And he's, he's saying, I, I want to ask this question that may be going on in your mind And I want to confront it with the truth of, no, that's not true. You're not getting it. What shall we say then? Is the law the problem? Is the law sinful? As you think about this, uh, he's connecting this. And we've talked about this for the last few weeks. When he talks about the law, he's talking about the Mosaic law. He's talking about the Ten Commandments. But he's also talking really about the whole Old Testament, okay? And, and he's, he's saying Ten Commandments, but the rest, but also the specific of the Ten, okay? That is the law. This is what God has outlined. And who wrote the Ten Commandments? Moses, God, right? We got God and Moses. God through Moses, right? God gave them to Moses. Moses wrote them down. He, he got the tablets. You know, you remember some of that stuff. So the Ten Commandments came from God. Were they good? Yes. Okay, I appreciate those of you who answered quickly. Stuff from God is good. Yeah, got it. Uh, just go back to Sunday school. If you can't get these answers quickly, right? It's either God or Jesus, right? Uh, the Bible. Uh, uh, and so as you look at this, uh, this question and, and what Paul's been going through, he's been talking about the law. Verse 7, he says, what shall we say, that the law is sin? The law is sin? Boy, that, that gets confusing. But as you look back to the previous passages, you see that the law um, has done some things, has created this sinful uh, part of people. And he's going to go on to describe this more. And he says, by no means. And it's this, no way. Um, and then he says in verse 7, it, it's, it's kind of this concluding, but uh, I'm going to give you the answer and then I'm going to go back and I'm going to talk about it more. Yet, yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I would not have known, um, I'll stop there. Let me, let me just say this. If, if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. And we've talked about this before, but it's a very important concept for us to understand. And, and if you can go back to being a kid, it will be helpful to you. What was your main defense uh, when your parents or your teachers caught you doing something wrong? You didn't do it? I, that's a good one, too. That may be the second one. I didn't know. I hit my sister with a two-by-four. I didn't know. I, I didn't know that that was a bad thing. Nobody told me about the two-by-four. Um, <laughs> one of my kids, uh, who will remain nameless, um, I remember in kindergarten, he went to school and he was super zealous about, you know, going to school. He'd seen his siblings do that. It's going to kind of rat him out. But anyways, uh, so like he was super excited. It was kindergarten and they were supposed to, to um, 
to line up as after recess or beginning of the day. They're supposed to line up and, and he found another troublemaker in the class and, and this other troublemaker and him decided they were just gonna, like, they were gonna bounce chests and bellies. Like, I don't know where they get this, but in the heart of a boy and they, they start doing this and they're pushing and shoving. And their teachers, you know, grouchy teacher, you know who they are. And she says, stop fooling around in line. And, you know, my, my son came home and he says, I didn't know there was no fooling around in line. I didn't know. As we see the, the question of the law of sin and the problem, uh, he he says what the law did was make sin known. And sin is of critical importance to understanding. It's important that you know what sin is. I think that sounds crazy to us, doesn't it? I don't want to talk about sin. I I know that... uh, Zach, uh, sometimes as he picks songs, I remember uh, him telling me that someone said, oh, I don't want to sing any more songs about sin. I got it already. Like, I don't want to sing about it. Um, I want to tell you that as we look at this particular passage, sin is in full focus and a critical uh, importance to us to understand Maybe you say, I don't like to think about sin. Well, sin and and this picture of the law in regards to sin is about right and wrong, right and wrong. If you think back to what is sin, sin is an offense against God. It's an offense against God. And, And so the question is, what is offensive to God? And, and, and I, wanna, I want you to get this. this. This is so foreign to our culture, right? We, we don't think, we think about offense all the time, right? I'm offended. I'm offended. Um, have you said that? Have you felt that? And you think, uh, all the time, when, when you're offended, you think, somebody has offended me, that's not right. But sin, the issue of sin is that it's offended our creator, it's a sin against him. It's not the issue this way so much as it is this way. And for us, as his creation, we should want to know, we should want to know what is an offense to God. We should want to know. We don't want to know, but we, we should want to know. What is right and wrong? What is an offense against God? Um. What sin is, it's not what do I believe in or what do I think is wrong. The law is helpful to spell out what is offensive to God. Now back to sin for a moment. Actually, it's not gonna be for a moment. It's gonna be for the whole time. Um, Let me ask you a question. Do you notice when you sin? Do you notice I I think we notice the big things, right? We notice the big things. We notice maybe when we lie. Uh, We notice sometimes when we lose our temper. If we lose our temper quite a bit, maybe we don't notice. Everybody else does, though. Uh, Do we notice what sin we've offended? Like, Like what particular sin that we have done? 
I think that's interesting that there are particular sins. You can say, I have sinned, but you can also say, I have sinned by lying, by lying. Or I have sinned by being proud. I have committed the sin of adultery. Like there's specific things. You can say I've sinned, but you can also say specifically how you have sinned. And, and once again, those sins are not like, they're not up for discussion among culture, right? Uh, you, you can't have sins, uh, you, you can't have a family meeting at your house and we, we've decided that that's not a sin here. We, or we've decided that's an acceptable sin. You, we may have these things that go on, but that doesn't quit that particular action from being a sin, right? Okay, so, so I, I want to belabor this because I think it's important. Um, what this passage is going to share with us is how, how did we come to the place where we notice when we sin with precision and specific guilt, specific guilt. When I say specific guilt, um, it's not just that lying is a sin, is that I've committed the sin of lying. I've, I've done it. Um, it's not just in a general sense that that's a bad thing. In our society, and culture today, and the youth today, I can't believe the youth today and the sinfulness. But, but it's that this is a sin, and I have committed it. That's the point of this, this idea of sin and the law. And I want to tell you that even this, even this is good news. Even this is good news. And I say good news like good news gospel good news. Because it's a part of us understanding our need for Jesus and coming to the place where we are saved from the sins that we've offended the law, like, like all these are connected, uh, and even this is good news. Um, many of you have been so kind to me in the last months in my family and uh, just being concerned with my health issues, but the process of that um, is very helpful for you to think through because I think it's a great illustration. Um, go to the doctor, go to the doctor, tell him some things, and he goes, oh, we need some tests, and I said, oh, okay, test, you know. And so you go take a test, and um, they get the results of the test, and the doctor says, I want you to come in this afternoon. And you come in this afternoon, and the idea of going to the doctor is a bad deal, right? Most of you know that it's a bad deal, right? You can't be sick unless you go to the doctor, right? Um, and if you don't go to the doctor, you won't get sick. That's kind of the life without the law right there, Right? You know, I, I didn't know I was sick, so everything was fine. Uh, but when the doctor says to you, you have cancer, you have a tumor, it's a very important thing that you get this taken care of. Is that good news or is that bad news? I want to tell you, it's good news to know that you have a problem that you might take care of. it. I don't care, health is such a secondary issue, but I think it's a great example for us to understand um, for us to understand the importance of our sin, of knowing the problems that are within us. And I think some, some of you, uh, some of us, say, oh, there's just things that are no big deal. It's just the way I get through life. Uh, and that may be being proud or being a gossip uh, of being someone who 
cheats and manipulates and maybe you're struggling with being a drunkard and drinking too much. And you say, oh, it's no big deal. In fact, I joke about it all the time. I want to say it may be a joke to you. It may be a joke to all your friends. It may be a joke to our whole culture. But is it a joke to God? That's the point. Is our life offensive to God, the things that we do? And so we're really looking at uh, the root of the problem, the root of the problem, which brings us, middle of verse 7, to my history of the law and sin, my history with the law and sin. Uh, So in in verse 7, he says this, for, for I would not have known what it is to covet if, if the law had said, you shall not covet. But sin seizing an opportunity through the, the commandment produced in me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. I'll stop there, but that's all part of, the next part is part of this point as well. But, but you see, he goes and he gives a coveting example uh, now he, he looks at coveting and he, he said there's, there's this, you know, there's a specific, there's the Ten Commandments and then you have the Tenth Commandment, the coveting, coveting, and he says this is what, what we're talking about. It produces covetousness. And you say, wait a minute, produces covetousness? Yeah. So before the law comes into your life, and, and, and I want you to get this, He's, Paul is talking about this in terms of life without the law, Life with the law. And what should the law produce in you? And most of you are saying, well, I, don't, I didn't really grow up with the Ten Commandments. I'm not Jewish. I didn't read the Old Testament. That, that's not the point. The point is for Paul who did grow up, it's the proper response to the writing of God's word. It's the proper response to God writing out what is offensive to him. And so he, he takes this one sin and he says, I wouldn't have known what it is to covet if the law had not said you shall not covet. And you picture that child, that childlike heart of all of us, I didn't know. You know, but now I know. But now I know. And what do you do with now this knowledge? Um, the, the problem, and it's not really spoken of in this passage, but I'll just tell you, what's the problem with knowing rules? Now you gotta obey them, Right? And what's the problem with the Ten Commandments? Is if you read them, especially in Jesus, uh, in the book of Matthew, as he really looks into the core of them, we're all sinners in regards to the Ten Commandments, especially as we think of the heart of them, the heart of them and the motives behind it. And so he uses the example of coveting, just one of these examples, and he said, uh, coveting, you know, that issue of your heart, of you wanting stuff. And I think about that and I think our culture is great at coveting, right? It drives our economy. It's the American way, right? Th- these are the things that drive us, the idea of wanting stuff and especially wanting stuff that other people have. And, oh, I can't stand that. You know, th- this picture of just desiring more stuff. He uses that as an example of you realize there's a problem even before you know that's wrong. Once you know that's wrong and offensive in the eyes of God, it doesn't stop the sin. Uh, just now you know what, what the problem is, right? It hasn't fixed anything. Um, and this is the, the issue of the law. It doesn't fix anything. It doesn't save anyone. Paul's already gone over that. 
we cannot be good enough to save ourselves. It's interesting, he describes uh, this and he says, um, at the end of verse eight, he says, for apart from the law, sin lies dead. Sin lies dead. It's not that we are not sinners. It's that it's this picture of maybe a seed or something lying dormant, lying dormant. But then once it is, comes to life, what is that that made it? The law. It made sense. And uh, now it comes, this dormant thing springs to life. Uh, verse 9, I, I, I was once... A, I was once alive apart from the law. He talks about those dormant days. But when the commandment came, uh, sin came alive and I died. Uh, he puts these things side by side. Like what, what happened as the law, there was a sense of knowledge that came about that, that made him alive, but yet it made him dead, right? Sin came alive, he became dead. And, and I, want you to, I want you to say this, even apart from the scriptures, we know this feeling. We know it. We know it. Sin does not give us life. Sin brings about death in us. I, I, I wish I could, we had the time. We, we don't have the time, nor is it appropriate for us to stand up one by one and give an example of sin bringing death to our life. We could do it, couldn't we? We could do it. Some in grand ways, some in small ways, and all of them connected back to sin and the sin being wrong in the eyes of God, offensive to him. Um, So coveting is the example. Sin lies dead or dormant. It springs to life. And this sin, uh, having come to life, brings about death to us. He says in here, verse verse 9, he says, I once was alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. Verse 10, the, the very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. Death to me. Why did the law bring about death? Real simply, real simply, it showed me where I was sin- sinful. Showed me where I was sinful. And we could not keep the Ten Commandments. We could not keep them in and of ourselves apart from relationship. We couldn't do it. And so it brought about death to me. This is good news. We just haven't gotten there yet, okay? Uh, this is good news. But I want you to get this. This is critical for us. It promised life but brought about death. I, I, I read this and I felt one commentator said it really well when he said this. When the commandment came, it killed forever the proud Pharisee thanking God that he was not as other men and sure of his own merits before God. It killed the happy sinner for it showed him the seriousness, not so much of sin in general as his own sin by name. I want you to get this, that for the one who thinks he's good enough, the idea of looking deeply into the law shows himself a sinner, but for the one who thinks it doesn't matter, it just can be the happy sinner 
It also shows him that sin is awful, but not just that sin is awful, but that his sins are awful. His sins are awful. Sin is this, and it goes on to say, um, verse 11, for sin seizing an opportunity uh, through the commandment deceived me and through it killed me. Uh, this idea that, that um, it brought about, these commandments brought about death to me, um, deceived me into thinking that I was good enough or I was deceived by sin and thinking that it was no big deal. Sin is a liar all the time. And I want to tell you that each of us has temptations in specific areas and when sin comes up, oh, I I don't want to tell the truth. Remind yourself, sin is a liar. Sin is a liar. Sin is a liar. It it promises things that it will not produce. I have to do this. Uh, Boy, I just feel like, you know, for the the alcoholics, I just need a drink. No, you don't. Sin is a liar. Sin is a liar. For those who see the temptation of pornography or committing adultery, I want to say this. It will not be the good thing for you. Sin is a liar. It will bring about death and offense against God. That's the problem. Which brings us to verse 12, my conclusion uh, through the law of sin, this relationship. What is the conclusion of this? So verse 12, he says this. Verse 12. Uh, so the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. Uh, grab that. It's God's word. It speaks of another portion of God's word. And what is God's communication to you? The Ten Commandments and the rest as well. What is that? God is true and good. His word is holy and just and good. Why? Because it comes from him. And what is he? Holy and righteous and good. And so God says something. He writes it down. What about it? It's good. It's holy and and just. Um, We live in a culture right now who that will continue to increasingly reject the Bible, reject it, say it's stupid, say it's ridiculous, it's outdated. Uh, We have an algorithm that will work better than the Bible. We don't need that anymore. I wanna tell you, that's a lie, that's a lie. And so as, as we look at this, we remember that the law is good. God is good and he is the good lawgiver. As, as Paul is bringing this to conclusion, this idea, and I, I would include, in my Bible, it's a new paragraph, verse 13, but I think it is tying up the previous section, so I include it in our message this morning. He says, the law is good, verse 13, did that which is good then bring about death to me? Slam the hand on the table again, by no means. And then he says this, it was sin producing death in me through what is good in order that sin might be shown to be sin and through the commandment might to become sinful beyond measure. Sinful beyond measure. And what is this? Well, um, he gets the passage, the law, you have the law, you have your own sin, interject the law, it produces death because of your sin, not because of the law. It's shown to be sin, okay? And what kind of sin? Sinful beyond measure. 
sinful beyond measure. There's different translations for this, but the idea here is this, the sin greater, greater, and more significant, and more personal, and more mind-blowing than we could ever imagine. I I just want to really hammer this home that, that sin is worse than we think or thought. Uh, it's wicked by itself. You know, if, if you do the uh, study of sin, you'll realize that sin is an offense against God. It's worse than we thought. It's worse than we thought. I think most of us want to think of sin as casual, casual. Uh, we dismiss it in so many different ways. We, you know, Shane spoke of the speech and, and many times people uh, use language that's dishonoring to the Lord and we say, oh, I'm just a sailor or pardon my French. Uh, none of you know French. I mean, some of you know French here, but they, they, you know, any language, right? Um, th- this idea that it is wicked by itself, but, but the point of this passage is not just that sin is wicked by itself, it's wicked in me. It's me. The the end of this is that I am, the sin that I've committed, is sinful beyond measure. Beyond measure. Sin is worse than we thought. It's wicked in me. And the effects are death. Um, We we do this all the time. And and I want to encourage you not to. Um, why, why should you do what's right? Why should you do what's right? Why should you say what's right? Why should you think what's right? Why should you act in a way that's right? Well, if you don't, we, we train our kids this way, if you don't, you might get caught. You might get caught. And you don't want to get caught, and so you should do what's right. Is that what this passage is talking about? No, it's not about getting caught. And really, getting caught is no big deal to God. You're always caught with God, okay? I always think it's so funny. It's not supposed to be funny, but as you look in the book of Genesis, when he sinned, what did he do? He hid from God. (laughs) That doesn't make sense. Uh, The one who created him knew where everything was. I'm gonna hide from God. That's our feeling, right? We don't want to get caught. It's not about getting caught. Or or maybe we say things like this. Why do you want to do what's right? Why do you want to say what's right? Why do you want to talk and think? And why do you want to do what's right? Well, because if, if I don't, it might not work out very well for me. Right? I, I, I might disappoint people or I might not get in the right college or, or I might get kicked off the team or I might want to lose my job. You know, so, so it might not work out very well. And so practically, as I think about having a good life, I, I want to do what's right so I can have a good life. Is that the point of sin? No, it's not. The point of this passage is that as we see or have revealed to us through God's word, his law, the sinfulness of sin, we realize that that brings about death. And we, we see the seriousness of sin. Seriousness of sin. I want to talk about parenting 
for one moment. So if you are raising kids right now, I want you to hear this loud and clear. Parenting. Uh, Why do you parent your kids? And what is parenting of kids? Uh, First of all, it's causing them to live, right? You know, there's things that they're going to do as little ones that will bring danger to their life. Some of them more than others, right? You have some kids that need to be stapled to the ground or the Velcro wall or something like that. And your role of, as parenting is to hold on to them as stewards of God's creation. You to hold on to them until they grow a brain and so they won't do things that bring about death to their life. That's part of parenting, okay? But um, when you think about parenting, much of parenting is correction, correction. It is to, to watch your kid doing something, saying something, acting a certain way, even the look on their face and saying, I need to correct that. I need to correct that. And, and what is correcting? We, we can't always like physically make them do different. But the first thing is saying something, saying something. Now, parenting, um, as parents, um, I, I want to use the word self-esteem, so I will. I'll just say it, and then I'll backtrack from it. Don't hurt their self-esteem. Don't hurt their self-esteem. That's many times as a parent, we're driven by some line like that. And I would even say it in a different way. Uh, I would say, oh, I don't want to hurt their feelings. You know, they're just a little guy or a little girl. And I, don't, I, don't want to, I don't want to hurt their feelings. I'm glad. That's very important as a parent. If you don't care about the, the, you know, the tears of your children, what's wrong with you? What is wrong with you? Uh, that's horrible. You should think about that. But that's not the only thing you should think about. Um, you, you should be bringing to them what is right and wrong. Right and wrong. Not in your eyes. Not in, uh, there is some of that that God has placed you as a parent over your kids. And so he wants you to make sure that, they, that there's some of that. But it's that they would know, and I'll just say it plainly, Sin that they would know what is sin. It's so important that your child needs to know what sin is. And how are they going to know that? Through the law. You say the, the Ten Commandments? Sure. But also, there's plenty of other things in the Scripture that describe other things that God says, this is an offense to me. And specifically, you want your kids to know you're not being kind right now. You're lying. You're lying. You're being proud. Right? You, you're, when you're stealing your kid, you're, you're wanting things that aren't yours, right? You, you want them to know what sin is. Sometimes we say, well, I don't want to hurt their self esteem. I, I want to encourage you don't confuse them by thinking that there is no right and wrong and that what they're doing that's wrong is right. I know that was confusing, and it's purposely so, okay? What you're saying to them, what you're saying to your kids when they're doing something that's wrong and you don't say anything, you're saying, that's okay and right. 
I, I want you to get this, parents. This is, and I know it's exhausting. It's exhausting. And I know it's exponentially exhausting as you have more kids and the years go on and they can talk more. My, my grandson is perfect right now because he cannot tell me all the crazy thoughts that are going through his mind. He cannot tell me, but he's getting ready to. He's getting ready. And his legs are about ready to move so he can go do some of those things. And my grandson, your kids, they need to know what right and wrong is. Not according to you, but according to God. And when they do something wrong, they need to know that's sin. That's sin. Do you see how this quickly, easily lends itself to the gospel? Um, they, they want, I want you to know this. I'm gonna show you one uh, verse right here, Proverbs 19, 18. A little more wisdom for the week. Discipline your son for, the, for there is hope. Do not set your heart on putting him to death. Uh, that's a hard one to read, right? Because it says, uh, discipline your son. Oh, yeah, I should do some of that parenting stuff, right? Correcting, bringing them along, saying that's wrong, do something else. And then it says death in there. Don't be a part of his death or don't be putting him to death. And you say, oh, don't get crazy with me. I want to say, uh, don't get crazy with God and don't think about your responsibility as a parent as being small. If you don't care about their life, don't discipline them. If you don't care about them, if you do, and you should, you're a steward of them for God, I want to tell you, I want to tell you, discipline them. There's hope today. And I think about uh, some of your kids exhausting you. I I look at them and I, I smile and laugh and I'm encouraged by you. You get to church and your kids are embarrassing you every once in a while at church and at home and at school. And and I, I want to say, keep going, keep going. There's hope. There's hope. As you discipline them now, there's hope. I want to tell you, if you don't discipline them now, you're participating in death and the things that sin will bring about to them after. Back to you, back to you. Parenting over, back to you. Where does this passage bring us? Real simply, we are guilty. We are guilty. Guilty of what? Guilty of sin. Most of the time we, I was thinking about this in sports, we were, my wife and I were talking about uh, playing baseball, not her and I, but, um, but when our kids played baseball and I said, you know, baseball is all about confidence. It's all about confidence. You know, in a lot of sports and a lot of things are about confidence. And I say, you want to build kids' confidence. But um, I, I want to tell you, uh, sometimes a, a really proud and bloated ego person can play very well because they've convinced themselves they're the greatest in the world at 12, at 12, you know, and they're the greatest in the world. But what happens when they fail and why is that good? Because it brings them humility and it brings them back to an accurate picture of who they are. I want to tell you for us, for us, When we've been sinning and we see in God's word that it's sin, it's good for us. Why? Because it brings us back to the place that we are, the accurate picture. And the accurate picture for us is not a uh, a picture of pride, but it's a picture of humility, humility. So we're guilty, it brings us to humility. What is the humble person? He, He finally realizes, he goes, man, I'm needy. 
you know, for your kids, when you explain to them sin, they're going to go, well, how can I fix this? There's no way to fix it. There's no way for you to fix it. Please tell them that. Just for a moment. Just let them sit there. There's no way to fix this. <gasps> I'm stuck? Yeah, you're stuck. Apart from Jesus. We're needy, which brings us to Jesus. God, thank you for this morning. Um, all this is meant to bring us to Jesus. God, help us to see clearly our own lives and who we are and help us to see our need for Jesus. God, thank you for loving us so much that you sent your son that we could have life in him. Though our sins through the law brought us death, through Jesus we can have life, life eternal. God, we thank you in Jesus' name, amen.